think we got old during this pandemic? I 100% think we got old. You were at the mall. <laughs> so I always thought I'd be a great old man because when I was 14, I was sick and tired of the music. Mm. Like I thought, this, this is all garbage. We can do better. So uh-huh. I feel like I'd lean into being an old man. And I was always said I wanted a porch. And then I'd sit there with a lemonade and a shotgun and just be like, storms are brewing. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. But yeah, you got old. You joined me this week. I did. I did. That trip to the mall really showed me just how like awful life outside of our house is. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the good parts too, like complaining. You're early allowed to bedtime. complain more. Well, the early bedtime, that's more of a you thing. Mm-hmm. And that's also a children thing, not just a, an old person thing. Fair. Because you'd have to get up early to be an old person and you don't like that. Oh, Yeah. No, you're right. Okay. I am excited for, I assume we'll just do this podcast for 50 years. Ever, yeah. Right? Uh, to have an old man voice for podcasting. I think that'll be good. But all your old man voices have some sort of accent attached to them. Well, no, but it'll just be my voice <laughs> oh, by then. Okay. I won't have to be an old Southern gentleman. <laughs> I'm kind of excited for when you turn into an old Southern gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Start wearing white suits. Yeah. <laughs> no, but if I if I have an old man voice, just a little. Oh yeah, I did get a little southern. It always gets southern. <laughs> Anytime you do a, like an old man voice, it's always like a little bit southern, which is hilarious. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe southern voice sounds a little tired, so I'll sound like this, and then I'll say things like. You know, the thing about the films of Clint Eastwood. Why are you so gruff? <laughs> because I'm an old man, remember? <laughs> the yeah. thing about the films of Clint Eastwood is his career as a director mirrored both the best and the worst of American society at the time. Hmm. See, I'll, if I say it like old, this, I'm a like, good podcasting old hey guys, the things about Clint Eastwood. And I'm like, what the fuck does this guy know? But if I'd sound like that. Everything. If I sound like Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, you should definitely transition into that voice eventually. (laughs) I'm working on it. Yet, at work on the phone, people always go, thank you, ma'am. Oh. (laughs) I don't mind, but I just didn't think I had the most feminine voice. I thought it's it's not like Jeff Bridges, but I thought you could tell that I was a... An adult male? I can tell. Well, yeah, I should hope so. <laughs> and hopefully our viewers out there. Actually, you know what? I don't care if you can tell or not. But for the record, adult man's over here. <laughs> right there. Yeah. Sitting across from me. And welcome <laughs> to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. And we are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And I am your host, indie adult male human Randawa. <laughs> and with me is the lovely Samantha, soon to be old he's. <laughs> it is my birthday week. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, when this comes when out. When this comes out, it is birthday week. So I will soon be old. <laughs> Th- this is the year you become old? Yeah. Oh, shit. I've been transitioning well, into old. So <laughs> old and married. That's the 2022 goals just to be old and married yeah i think those are both very attainable exactly i'm done aiming high (laughs) (laughs) me too (laughs) 
If this is your first time joining us, how this podcast works is we take turns picking a movie, going back and forth. This week was my turn to pick a movie, and I went with Kiki's Delivery Service. Samantha had never seen it. We're going to talk all about it. And if you'd like to hear more of our Miyazaki movies, since we do one a year now, you can go check out our episode on My Neighbor Totoro, number 10 in our catalog, or go to number 100, where we talked about Spirited Away. But before we get into our big kiki discussion, Samantha, who is our first sponsor today? Our first sponsor of the day is Taproot Edmonton, who are on a mission to inform you about your city. So if you want to get a handle on Edmonton's growing innovation scene, take a listen to Bloom, Taproot's newest podcast. Each week, Emily Rendell Watson and Fazia Ramji will discuss the latest developments in efforts to solve new problems and diversity in the economy. Find out who's invented what, who is investing in whom, and what is on the horizon. Find Bloom wherever you listen to podcasts or visit bloom.taprootedmonton.ca. All right, well, let's get into it. Samantha, I've brought you three Miyazaki movies now. The first two, I think it's safe to say that you loved. Mm -hmm. I loved both of those movies. They were so cute and so much fun to watch, and they really transport you to a new world. Well said. So uh, this one, Kiki's Delivery Service, comes, I believe, next after Totoro, which was successful. Not instantly successful mm -hmm. at the time, but over time it grew a following. And then Kiki came out next, so it was his follow-up. It's still early on, quite a bit before we get to Spirited Away. So what did you think? Kiki's Delivery Service. Did you love it? Yeah. You loved it. I loved it. Great. It, it's just like comforting and i feel like if you listen to spirited away and my neighbor totoro the episodes for those i'm gonna just say the same things over again but i would say those are very different movies i think this is closer to totoro perhaps yes spirited away is worlds away it's from its this movie thing, yeah for sure and once we start going through miyazaki's catalog more you'll see things that are in that vein a little bit more but mm. i feel like kiki and Totoro have a lot of similarities because they're both kind of still, quiet, beautiful mm -hmm. movies that don't have huge external conflicts. Right. It's just like they use the term slice of life a lot. It's a lot of that. It's a lot about growing up. Mm -hmm. And all three of those movies we've seen now have had protagonists that are about 13-year-old girls. Yeah. 12, 13, around there. Yeah, you had said in the pre-episode about that, like, coming of age kind of feeling where you're still kind of a child, but kind of getting into, like, adulthood. Yeah, the, the shoujo. It's, like, its own genre of, of Japanese manga. Oh. Of girls who are not quite teenagers, because there's, of course, a big market for teenage stuff. But Japan seems to cater to that group, this... Hmm. Not quite even a teenager yet, which we don't hear. We kind of forget about those people. We're like, your kids are your teenagers right. and then your adults. Yeah. Just, we don't ha like respect that transition very it's much. It's like a faster grow up here. Maybe. We just we don't market to them at yeah. least. Except for Britney Spears. Because she was not, not a girl. Not, not yet, yet a woman. A woman. Yeah. yeah. Every time we do Although one of I these feel movies like... or talk about Sojo, it's like I have that playing in my head now. I feel like she's talking more about like a 16-year-old, though. Fair, yeah. Because she's 
I think that's a, a different age, perhaps. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Of course, I have a bunch of things that I want to talk about that we'll get into eventually the, the nature of conflict in this. I want to talk about loneliness. I want to talk about her losing and regaining her powers. But before all of that, what did you love about this? What are some things that jumped out at you to begin with? Um, I loved the like playfulness of this movie. I think that's something that Miyazaki does really well is bringing like a sense of like fun and play to it, mm-hmm. especially because it is usually like younger protagonists. Um, I loved the cat. Oh, Gigi. Gigi is so fun. And um, I loved how kind people were. Yeah. It's like kind of a utopia kind of thing that he builds in this movie where it's like, oh, I can just go anywhere and like make a home for myself. I agree and I disagree. (laughs) I think we're going to talk more about that as we go through things because... There is definitely this vein of kindness and the idea that if you are kind to others, they will be kind to you. But I don't think it's that simple because even Kiki, this wonderful teenage witch who is just kind to everyone, Mm -hmm. people aren't always kind to her. True. Very true. And it's a matter of finding those people and building your life with those types of supportive Mm -hmm. people. So I think it does give you a good bit of realism to it as well, but it doesn't go far in either way yeah like i was saying last episode actually i as soon as i said it last episode i realized my mistake but i said oh in this movie you're not going to have your big villains there's no scars or ursulas there is of course literally an ursula because that is the name of the artist but there are no larger than life villains in this yeah i think it's just a lot more rooted in reality Mm -hmm. and somehow this movie about a talking cat and a flying witch is more realistic than I would say the majority of romantic comedies that are currently made. Oh, for sure. And I I love the feeling of like found family in this. Yeah, that's a, a big theme. And, and I great. I think we talk about this a lot on the podcast and I talked about it at the event that I spoke at um I guess it would be a couple weeks ago now. But um we were saying about how like we really end up loving kind of found family movies. And the idea of bringing those people around you who are going to support you and, like, getting rid of the rest. Mm -hmm. And so this was totally, like, a found family feeling where she found this, like, woman who really wanted to take her in. And by the end of the movie, she's got, like, a real support system. I love that this movie features so many women Mm -hmm. just, like, out there just getting shit done. Yeah. And it's not like that hashtag boss bitch it's none of that it's just like which i d- dislike and it's not like hey you don't like women in charge it's like no i don't like people in charge <laughs> but um like in this one though they're they're out there they're baking they're yeah. building cabins in the forest where yeah. they sit around painting they're making herring pie for their unappreciative grandchildren yeah they're giving inspirational speeches about how you have to go out there and find your own inspiration yeah It's not heavy. It's not like on the nose of a lot of movies where you're like, oh, yeah, girl power. Mm -hmm. But it's so present in this. And it's done in, like much of it, in such a realistic, thoughtful, and not heavy-handed way that it's more impactful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you might have to sit and actually look at it to realize it because a lot of this stuff is so subtle. Mm -hmm. But 
it's just something you don't see in nearly enough movies. And I love the job that they did of that here. Mm -hmm. And um, I like that there wasn't like the central story wasn't like a romantic interest. Yes. That um, boy, and I can't remember his name now. Tombo. Tombo. Um, he is like sort of portrayed as like a romantic interest, but at the same time, he ends up just being a really good friend to her. Yeah, I don't know if he's portrayed that way or we just see it because we're like, oh yeah, a boy and a girl, that yeah. must be what's going on. I don't think there was much of that because she doesn't seem romantically interested in him. No. And he seems to just be interested in flying. <laughs> yes. I believe Tombo is a representation of Miyazaki himself. Oh, really? I'm not sure about that, but he is a, a total flight nerd. Oh. If you'll notice, and we'll get into it as we go through more of his movies, every one we've seen so far has featured flying pretty predominantly. Less than Totoro, but they do fly on a Totoro. Right. Uh, this one, definitely. And there's a lot of flying. And pretty soon, maybe the next one we'll do is Porco Rosso, which is about a fighter pilot who is also a pig. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of flying themes. And then it only gets bigger from there. Oh, so he is very interested in aviation, and I, I haven't quite reconciled what that means and how he portrays it and what he's trying to get across mm -hmm. through all of this use of flight. Maybe by the end of this podcast, I'll have a, <laughs> I'll have a thought on that. Sounds good. Uh, we should mention that we watched this time the Netflix version which mm -hmm. is the English dub here, and it is the original Disney one, which was done in 1997. We talked about this last episode, but the quick rundown, there was a first English dub. We've never seen it. Don't worry about it. The 97 Disney one has some of the songs cut. Uh, Gigi is sassier. They added in some lines. And then there's a DVD one, which is closer to the Japanese one, but still right. that cast. And then I think the best one is the Japanese one. You got to see a little bit of the Japanese yeah. version that I was watching. What do you think of that? Um, it feels different. Um, it definitely feels less Disney. It's quieter. Yeah. Like it's a lot quieter. Of it seems a little slower yeah. or like more subdued. I'd agree. Um, whereas the Disney version feels bigger and brighter and louder and mm -hmm. like more Disney, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. Because they did put in actual new sound effects for yes, the Disney yeah. one. And I think the biggest change is the portrayal of Gigi because mm -hmm. now it's Phil Hartman who's like really going for it and being a, a sassier cat while the original Gigi is a little more wise and timid perhaps. Right. Yeah. It. It definitely sets a different kind of tone for the beginning of the movie, too, with, like, the louder, bolder Gigi. Um, and you can kind of see, like, it felt like that's kind of where Kiki got her, like, courage from, was from this, like, zany cat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say the same for the quiet Gigi, though. Okay. I don't think I've seen enough of the quiet Gigi to, like, really... Right, right. 
really know and be able to say like, oh, yeah, no, totally. That's what's happening. But um, I definitely enjoyed Sassy Gigi. Um, I love a sassy black cat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Phil Hartman did a really good job of that voice. That would be one of the last people I would think of to do the voice of Gigi. Mm -hmm. Because Phil Hartman, I know him as a voice actor. He's very good. I really like him. And it's a very strange choice, but I still love it. Yeah. It is a, a an odd choice for sure. Because Phil Hartman was on The Simpsons. Yeah, he did lots of stuff. Right. He was big on Saturday Night Live. I think around this time he was doing News Radio, that sitcom. Okay. But he was both Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure on The Simpsons. Okay. And I think right after this, he was uh, brutally murdered by his wife. I did not read that on his Wikipedia page, but wow. Yeah. I saw he died at 49, but I just assumed it was like a, ooh. Yeah. Did not think, I'm going to need to read more about that now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, we brought it down a little bit, but let's uh, (laughs) let's bring it back up. So let's start with the opening of this movie. And this is one of the few times we get to see her family because it's really just in the beginning and then we get the letter at the end. Right. And I liked how little bits of this opening, as small as it was, parallels what she's going to do later, like her father lifting her up to Mm -hmm. fly. And when she spins to show off her dress, her hair does the same motion that we will see later once she starts flying. Yes. Yeah. I I liked the whole family unit. It was very cute. And it was fun to kind of see where she comes from and... It took me a little bit to get my head around the idea that she was, like, leaving home at this age. But, you know, I I got past it. (laughs) It's a cartoon. Um, But, yeah, her mom seems super nice and, like, you know, classic cartoon mom. Yeah, and her mom is a witch, of course, and her father is not because in this world, only women are witches. There's no wizards or Mm -hmm. warlocks or anything like that. And her mom is a potions witch, because every witch has a special talent. Ah, yes. Do you know what Kiki's is? No. Think about it. Let's talk about it at the end. Okay. I don't have... It's not like I have the right answer. Okay, I was like, (laughs) this is a quiz now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love uh, the position that witches have in this world. They're not unheard of, but they're rare enough that people are like, hey, look, there's a witch. I definitely enjoyed that, like, witches were just like, thing yeah that people knew about and usually in movies like this uh children's movies or really any movie that has a witch character Mm -hmm. it's going to be a stand-in for some sort of racism or prejudice where people are going to not accept her and then she has to save the day and they're like okay now you witches are all right and that's not the case here no it's like pre decided that witches are okay yeah they're just another type of person they're They're, not they're neither good nor bad yeah it's like oh look there's a cat like it's it's pretty common it seems like and she has to go find a town that doesn't have a witch but she's like people know about witches and nobody's like dropping dead in the street because she takes off on a broom out of shock (laughs) and i think most movies would resort to that being the central conflict is Mm -hmm. people hating the witch and she has to overcome that with some sort of charm but here like the worst thing is the cop tries to give her a ticket for disrupting traffic. Yeah. Which, fair. Fair. She kind of was. She, like, flew into a car, basically, and, like, 
messed some people up. I love the physics of her flying, like especially early on when she's kind of just like bouncing off of things and kicking off with her legs because yeah. she's just not good at it. It reminds me of like learning to ride a bike. Yeah, it seemed dangerous. Yeah. In a lot of movies, flight is just, it doesn't have the impact because people mm-hmm. just fly. This is kind of off topic, but Stan Lee, who invented Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. he made a point of that because he didn't like how in DC people just fly. Right. Superman just flies. Just like one day. You're How's he like, flying? Oh, I'm in the air. And it doesn't have the impact. So that's why Spider-Man swings on webs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thor throws his hammer and is being pulled by the hammer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Silver Surfer has a surfboard. Nobody just flies in his right. world. And I like that here, too. And I like that she's a witch, but she doesn't have witch problems. Mm -hmm. She has problems that anyone has. And that's really important, especially when you're making a movie that's kind of like a guide for young, young adults or young teens or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Doesn't have witch problems. I love that. Um, I, I loved how she's like very clearly still a child in a lot of ways. Like she's like walks into a hotel and is like, can I stay here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when she gets there, her treatment by the people in this new city kind of mirrors her joining like the real adult world. Because all mm. of this movie, of course, if we if it hasn't become clear by watching it, it's an allegory for growing up. Yes. And because she is quite literally doing that. So it's not like a huge stretch or anything. Mm-hmm. But when she's at home, she's used to being... In this village where everyone's like, oh, you're so special. You're a witch. You can fly. You can do all these things. And that's like growing up. And um, like for me, when I was in uh, junior high or elementary, I could act and play hockey and play basketball. That's impressive. You get to high school and they're like, yeah, we can all do that. Yeah. And here in this town, nobody's impressed that she's a witch. Yeah. They're like, okay, yeah, great. But like you're blocking traffic. Get out of here. It's like small fish, big, big pond. And um, she's getting her first taste of this real world where, you know what? You're not special. No. And that's not a lesson that is in any Disney movie. No, not at all. But that's kind of what this movie tells you. This movie, yeah. I would argue, gives very harsh lessons if you just say them, but in the sweetest, most beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And that's how they go about telling kids like, yeah, you know what? You're not all that special. Yeah. But you can be. You can do things to make yourself yes. special. And that's what Kiki does. You can like. You're not just special for showing up. No, you have to do something. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the effort. You have to scrub a lot of floors. <laughs> but I like what you were saying about the little kid moment of her just going into a hotel. And there's just a lot of great human moments mm-hmm. in this. I love in that one sequence where she's going to get firewood. And she loads up logs as much as as she can. And she just drops one. And then she kind of like just kicks kicks it it out of the way. (laughs) I don't know why that. Because that's not something that would be included in most movies. But when you see something like that, you're like, yes, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah. And you don't see things that are exactly what you would do in movies very often. No. Especially not in cartoons. Yes. And so she has those little like human moments. I loved that because that's totally you kick it out of the way so you can come back and get it. Yeah. And she's like a little annoyed like you would be if you dropped something that you had just spent a long time trying to pick up. And um, she has those little moments kind of throughout the movie. And I I loved this like 
those little things like when she gets her first customer and she like runs up the stairs with her groceries and half the groceries fall out of the bag and like she continues running down the stairs and like I just loved all of that. We said a lot of that in Totoro as well. Miyazaki's just good at knowing how kids actually act. Mm -hmm. He captures childhood in a much more truthful way, I feel like, than a lot of other filmmakers do. Something as simple as when she goes to the bathroom and then she sees the baker, like the male baker, who Mm -hmm. I don't even know his name. He only has like one line, I think. (laughs) And when she sees him out there, she just closes the door and hides and waits for him to leave and then comes out. (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah, that's what I would do, too. I don't want to talk to people sometimes. Or when she's talking to Tombo and then his friends come and they're going to go do something and he goes, oh, come with us. And she's doesn't and she's angry about it but she can't explain why right i love that because like i get that yeah all of the conflicts are kind of just little things like that where i fundamentally understand but can't always explain Mm -hmm. just a lot of human humanity yeah and you get those moments of her trying to figure something out for herself where she's like okay so you know i learned this and i learned this and maybe i can like do this to get it or like whatever yeah and i think that moment like the one with the friends i was talking about that could be conflict in Mm -hmm. most movies but here it only causes introspection right because she's upset but she's also aware she has no reason to be upset Mm -hmm. but i totally understand the idea of she doesn't want to go with them because she doesn't think it'll be fun for her. Right. There's nothing wrong. Those kids aren't like big bullies or anything. They're not beating her up. They're not making fun of witches. It's just not her scene. Mm-hmm. And she's able to not want to do that, say no, but then still be upset about not mm-hmm. wanting to. Yes. And that is something I, I think very relatable to a lot of people. Definitely is for me. Yeah. I think that's just part of being an adult. Yeah. Is that like, you're like, I don't really want to go to that. But I'm also upset that I don't want to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, or the, like the idea of like going to something that you're just like not really into. Yeah. You're like, I should just make an appearance. Like yeah. my friends are into this or like I got invited. So I, I'll just go and I'll show my face. And then like sometimes you end up having fun that you didn't realize you were going to have. But like. That is part of just, like, growing up is just, like, doing things either you're not a super fan of or saying no to things that you're not a fan of and knowing the difference. (laughs) Definitely. And I think this movie has a lot of moments where it's not that this doesn't have conflict. It definitely doesn't have, um, like, Disney conflict. There's no big villain. And we've kind of come to expect that. But was that kind of odd for you just to not have a, a villain in a children's movie about a witch? Yeah, I I think it was interesting and it's very like Miyazaki. It seems like it seems like he does more like situational stuff than mm-hmm. like the big bad wolf. The conflict is more internal yes, than external. Yeah. yeah. So, I definitely it it takes a little adjusting to you. I think like now that I've seen 3 of his movies, I think it's a little easier to get into every time mm-hmm. because, you know, you're not waiting for the big, like, bad woman to come down and be like, 
I'm going to ruin your life for like. And that was my first watch of this movie. That's definitely what I was thinking. Anytime yeah. something would go wrong, I'd be like, oh, okay, here comes the conflict. Yes. For instance, something like as simple as when she stands up Tombo. She doesn't get home in time. So he waits out in the rain and then he goes to the party by himself. Right. In your standard romantic comedy that is produced today, that would be the central conflict of a whole movie. Yes. Just like a simple misunderstanding, they make that a central conflict. Yeah. And, then- and it has no business being that because these children, like Tombo just goes, oh, sorry, you were sick that day. Yeah. That's it. He moves on. It's not like you ruined my life. How could you stand me up? But we're then, not friends anymore. Yeah. Because he acts like a normal person. Yes. And like a kid would just be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Let's keep going. Yeah. But on the other hand, I loved how that does really affect her. She feels so sad about that. And she doesn't quite ever articulate exactly why, but that's the sequence where she gets sick after. Mm-hmm. And I love the the impact it has on her, but I love how that's juxtaposed with the freely forgiving nature of Tombo, who's just like, yeah, whatever, that doesn't really matter. This isn't a romantic comedy. It doesn't bother me that much. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like that it's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> yes. And then in that sequence, that's when she kind of gets very lonely because when she gets sick, she's by herself. I think this is close to the time where she stops hearing Gigi. Mm-hmm. But did you feel like there was a lot of loneliness in this movie? Yes. I I felt that when she like left home, you get kind of a, a like a lonely vibe or like an unsure vibe from her when she's like flying and trying to find that city that she's gonna the magical city by the sea that yeah. she wants to find, and I think uh, it was kind of neat to watch her fill that loneliness throughout the movie with her kind of found family. Yeah, I think I didn't even catch it that early on because at the beginning of this movie, all right, there's a witch going out for an adventure. I'm not thinking of like, oh, this is going to be a sad-ish story about Mm -hmm. someone kind of coping with loneliness and maybe even depression and working through those things. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it's a fun adventure. So when she's looking out at all the places, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. But soon after she arrives, you realize it's not what you were expecting. Mm -hmm. And it's shown, I think, the first night that she's alone, she gets the room from the baker, and there's just a shot of the room, and it doesn't look nice. No. And you're like, oh, okay, this isn't that movie. And then she goes to the window, and she looks out, and she says, oh, we can see the ocean from here. And you think, like, oh, adventure, it's gonna be fun again. And then... Miyazaki does that moment that I talk about a lot, which in Japanese, I think the word is ma, just stillness and um, like the contemplative nature of it. And there's just a shot of her looking out the window and it's just her and Gigi and her face isn't happy anymore. It's not full of wonder at what she's seeing. It's kind of taking in the fact of like, oh no, like there's nothing else Mm -hmm. here. It's just me. I'm on my own. And I uh, lived a very privileged life, so I didn't really experience that until I went to school in Norway. Right, and my yeah. first day in this dorm room, I was like, oh, oh, no, I'm in this garbage room by myself. What have I done? Yeah. And to see that on her face and just be able to understand kind of what she's going through. And it's not what she expected. And I think to most audiences, it's not what we expected either. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's so many movies out there that are about growing up and finding your place in the world. 
but not many movies are willing to tell you like, yeah, that's what you do. And it is a lonely process. Finding your way is lonely. Leaving your family is lonely. Mm -hmm. Starting a business is lonely. All of these things that she's going through are... She has Gigi with her, but then halfway through, not as much. Yeah. And she has to do all of this sort of stuff on her own. It's definitely, like you said, when you went away for school... I I think I had that the first night I stayed in my condo by myself. I was like, what do people do? I, I'm like, I guess I could have like another glass of wine. But like, like, what do people do? I just remember walking around and being like alone for the first time and just being like, I don't get this. This kind of sucks. <laughs> being alone is the worst. <laughs> And that first night, Gigi even says, like, oh, we can always go somewhere else because Gigi can read the room and know, like, oh, this isn't going well. Yeah. And she just lays under the covers for what in a movie seems like a long time. Yes, yeah. And then she just says, like, no, we're going to stay here. Yeah. I think we need to stay. Yeah, I love that resilience and the fact that it's not a, you know what? We can do this. It's just resigned acceptance of, like... Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what we're doing now. We chose this. And that is not the most glamorous lesson to teach children, but it is a necessary lesson. It is. It's totally a necessary lesson. And I think it's a lesson that everyone learns eventually. Mm -hmm. It may not be at like 12 or 13 or however old Gigi is. Hopefully not. But it's it's a lesson that people get, you know, throughout their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a few lonely moments that really stuck out to me, if you'd care to hear. I would love to hear. I love a a lonely moment montage. I love when she's sick and then she calls out and she goes, so no. And then she goes, what do you need? And Kiki just goes, never mind. Because she wants someone, but she also doesn't want to trouble her Mm -hmm. is how that kind of feels to me. It's one of those moments where you just kind of need your mom. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what she needs, and she doesn't have one. Yeah. And she kind of has this stand-in because Osono is like the mother figure. She is looks like she's painfully pregnant. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and so you get that kind of mothering from her, mm-hmm. which is nice. Like, again, but Kiki's trying to avoid it. Yeah, she's trying to. She's trying to grow up. She's, she's trying, trying to, to yeah. be that adult witch who lives out on her own and mm-hmm. runs the town, or is the witch for that town. And I loved after she says she doesn't want to go out with uh, Tombo's friends and then she has to walk home. And it's such a sad walk. And she says, I think it's at that point where she says to Gigi, something's wrong with me. I feel like such an outsider. (laughs) And there's just single lines in this movie that are just heartbreaking, but they just like move on. And it's not treated as like, oh, no, look how bad this is. It's just... A a very happy, well-adjusted person who has these moments, right? And I know now we try very hard. I read a lot of YA fiction for work, and we try so hard to put in, like, oh, all of these things are normal, mental health, we're really going for it. This movie is doing a better job of all of that than than pretty much anything. Oh, 100%. And I think this is something we've talked about quite a bit, and I was telling, like my mom about it and like how talking about mental health is so important and how it's only becoming a thing like 
now yeah for people but to Miyazaki sh- was doing it in 89 exactly but for people to share and for people to like go and ask their doctor for something because they're like this isn't normal mm-hmm. I don't feel regular so let's do something about that and so this is such a huge thing to be doing in 89 because it wasn't it wasn't a thing back then really so 89, I'd argue, is also the Disney renaissance. It's when that starts. Yes. Because that's when Little Mermaid came out. Right. And I think, of course, Miyazaki and Disney are always compared, well, I guess Ghibli and Disney, because mm-hmm. Miyazaki, though, is, I think, the best because he writes and directs all of his own stuff. Yes. And he yeah. does so much of it. But it's interesting that it came out the same year as Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, I'd argue, probably looks better. Mm -hmm. It had a way higher budget, so that helps out. Yes. And they're both about young teenage girls kind of getting out into a new world by themselves. Mm -hmm. But when you look at them thematically, and don't get me wrong, I love the Little Mermaid. I think (laughs) it is fantastic. But the central conflict of or aspiration of Ariel is look at that guy, he's cute, I want to marry him, I will give up anything to do that. Yeah, that's the problematic part of Disney. And I know I'm like overgeneralizing, but you can't argue that that is a main part of that movie. Yes. While here you have Kiki who is just, like, what would you even say her goal is? Just to go out and do good. To like live a life. To find her life. That's, That's her goal is to kind of find her life. And find out what her special witch skill is. Yes. Which I still don't know what it is because I don't know. I don't know either, but they made a point of it being like a thing. Yeah. Every witch has one skill. Yeah. The snobby witch does fortune telling and like love fortunes. Yeah. And her mom does potions for arthritis and such. (laughs) Which I think is awesome. I also love that the things that they do as witches aren't like, like big huge magical spells it's like i'm gonna make you a tonic and your body won't hurt as much yeah (laughs) of the three movies we've watched from miyazaki the one which stars a witch is the least magical of them very true yeah one is about a family going to live in a rural house way more magical yeah and one is about a girl stop making a stop on a road trip way more magical magical. this one deals with a witch and it's all about her internal struggles of finding happiness yeah i appreciate that because aren't we all word (laughs) she also has a line that's i make friends then suddenly i can't bear to be with any of them fair oh i i I feel (laughs) you kiki fair and then of course Gigi leaves and in the final sequence, when she's because she loses her powers and now she's trying to regain them, and she borrows someone else's broom, and when she gets on the broom, Miyazaki makes a very conscious effort, and there's no sound at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just kind of epitomizing her struggle this whole time. It's just you. Mm-hmm. It's not this crowd that's cheering you on. It's none of that. It's just up to her. And I love that it's silent, and then. As she gets going, the music, actually, there might not even be a lot of music, but the sound starts swelling and coming back in once she has done it because she's had that moment all to herself. Yes. And she's had kind of um, like a a victory. Mm -hmm. That was really great. Uh, The epilogue still feels kind of sad too, but in a kind of a beautiful way that is perfect for this movie. Yeah. Her like 
sending that letter to her parents and being like, I'm okay. I, I I like my new town. Yeah. And then it's sad because she's like not heading home. No, she's not reunited. And that's another thing. Any other movie would have her going back yeah. home and telling about her adventures. Visiting. But that's not what this movie's about. It's about her making her own way yeah. and she's not done yet. No. She's just starting. This movie is the start of this journey. Mm-hmm. It's not all wrapped up, but I think at the end of this movie, we as the audience feel confident that she can do it. Yeah, she can. She can do it. You can do it, Kiki. In Japanese, the tagline for the movie, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I'm translating it properly, but it loosely translates to, I was down for a while, but now I'm feeling good. And isn't that perfect? That's so nice. Yes. Because like, aren't we all? Again, aren't we all? (laughs) Well, I got half of it. I'm working on the second half. Soon. One day. One day. Sounds good. I'm just going to learn from Kiki. Yeah. Just power through. Power through. So I guess to to summarize your loneliness in this movie, or I shouldn't ask someone else to summarize. I'm really putting you on the spot, huh? Yeah, you are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I guess it's just all about there's a cost to independence and yes. growing up and sometimes it is that loneliness and the sadness it is and and those are like important things to learn as like a young person about like loneliness and sadness and how like sometimes sometimes they're good sometimes it's nice to just be by yourself but it's learning how to be by yourself and it's learning how to like surround yourself with people who can help you and it's learning um kind of what's the line between like too much loneliness and sadness mm-hmm. and like what's livable. Right. Yeah. And, and I know I've crossed that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that is like a huge life lesson that people learn at various ages, depending on who you are. But Kiki learns it in this movie and you can kind of see her change for the better and a kind of get more comfortable in her situation. Well, I think you may have inadvertently answered what I wanted to talk about next. Oh, okay. But I wanted to talk about her <laughs> losing and then regaining her power. Right. Why do you think she loses her power in the first place? Um, I think she like it's that like believe in yourself, like having a purpose for her life because she kind of gets despondent. Yeah. And she loses her kind of passion or her will to find her her usefulness or her like worthiness in the world, like what makes her important to everyone else or what makes her useful to everyone else. Yeah, because she's used to coming from this life where she would fly around and they even say that like, oh, I'm going to miss the sound of those bells because yeah. she always hits the trees. Yeah. People held her in like high esteem and, and reverence yeah. there. And now she even has a line where she says, flying used to be fun until I started doing it for a living. Mm -hmm. And again, ooh, I hear you, sister. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) That year I tried to be a professional writer. Never, I've never wrote again since then. Wow. I sold like a couple screenplays. Haven't written anything since. Wow. Because it it kills it. It kills passion. Doing something for a living kills the passion for me at least. I, I agree. I think it's not fun. When you have to do it. Yeah. And that that's, I think, what happens with her on a pretty basic level. I think it's pretty mm-hmm. much said. And then also she's just depressed. Yeah. She says she can't work. She can't talk to her friends. There's that scene where she just flops on her bed face first. I feel that. 
Yeah, don't I we do all? I do that like multiple times a week when that I get home from work. That one is a great gif to respond to things with. I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, but there were so many things where I was like, yep, I, I felt that. And like, I, yep, they've been there. Like you really kind of feel her struggle. Yeah. And that's all you can do in those moments. Flop on your bed face first. Mm-hmm. Then how do you think she regains her ability to fly? I think she regains it because she's like suddenly needs to use her power. She has a reason to do it. And that's to save Tom Tom? Tombo. Tombo. <laughs> um, and she like needs Tombo to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so she's able to kind of – she struggles with it, which I appreciate because like if this were – a like Disney movie of that era it would be like all of a sudden her powers would come back and she'd be able to do everything she could do before but she struggles it's like every Disney property whether it's Star Wars or Marvel now people who have never done a thing when they need to they're like oh yeah I can uh, wield a lightsaber very expertly now oh I can hold the infinity gauntlet whatever no big deal champion fencer with my lightsaber if they need to they just do it yeah Yeah. so I appreciate that she's like kind of rusty like she hasn't used her broomstick like that for a while so yeah she's she's kind of back to where she was when she left home because she's bouncing off of things yeah and maybe like even worse really trying to get going and then she realizes that she can do it and she manages to save him and then she seems to kind of gain back that confidence yeah i think it's that she gets the support of all of these other successful women that she knows the baker um Asono loves her and is there for her. I think her time with Ursula, the artist, because she goes and stays with Ursula for a while mm-hmm. and she kind of leaves everything behind. And yeah. of course, so many people know like, yeah, sometimes you need a vacation. Vacations aren't just for like going to a beach, just not doing the thing you have to do is huge. And she gets away and she does that. And she has that conversation with Ursula about how you have to find what inspires you or you have to inspire yourself. Yes. And she realizes that she herself has inspired Ursula. And I think all of that kind of um, builds within her and gives her the strength. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, I think most importantly, she just has to. She just has to. And I think a lot of what this movie does is so complex because it's things that we don't see in movies and it's a lot of thoughts and feelings that people can't easily articulate. Mm -hmm. But it's also so simple because it's things that I think so many people relate to and the answers of how do you do this? And it's like, you know what? It's not easy sometimes. Mm -hmm. There's no shortcut. You just have to work at it. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of work being done. Like for the first time when she meets Ursula... And she's going to repair the toy cat. It's not like, hey, I'm this uh, lovely lady who lives in the woods. I'll do everything for you. It's like, no, I'll do that. Um, you're going to wash the floors while I do it. <laughs> yeah, though. exactly. She's putting in the work. And that's also not the most popular answer mm-hmm. to how do you do things. But it is a very realistic one. And it is done in a beautiful way in this. It is. It, it totally is. And um, I think... Being forced into flying again because she lost all of her confidence and because she can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I think being forced into having to do it was the only way that she was going to be able to get that confidence back and the skill back. And I appreciate that she's like really uncertain while she's doing it. 
I wonder if the writer was using that as a metaphor for her own writer's block. It seems like a writer thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just you lose that inspiration. Yeah. Although I just read the book not too long ago. I can't remember if that's in the book. Oh, her, her losing, losing her, power? her powers. Yeah. I read it like two months ago and I don't remember. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we're kind of getting down to it. So it's put forth at the beginning of this movie that every witch has a skill. They can fly, Mm -hmm. and they have another special skill. Her mom does potions. She meets that snobby witch up in the sky who tells love fortunes. What is Kiki's? Delivery. But she flies. No, I I think maybe flying. um, I think it's just helping. Helping? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I think that's maybe too cutesy of an answer, but I think it's actually what it is. Because she doesn't make a point of saying, like, this is my skill. But if you look at the first time, oh, you know what? I'm playing the movie in my mind. I think it's, I think that's what it it's is. It's helping. Yeah. So the first time she invents the delivery service is also the first time she flies competently. Like, mm-hmm. she's not great at it. And then there's a scene with the pacifier. And right. she says, like, oh, I'll get it to her. And she just jumps off the bridge and flies over. That's the best she's flown at this point. Yes. Because she's helping someone. Yeah. She loses her powers because she's just doing delivery stuff for money. Mm-hmm. She's running a business. You could. She's being helpful, sure. Yeah. But it's a business. That's different. Well, she also, like, non-flying. I think when she goes to meet, I think, the madame. Oh, yeah, the older the lady. The older lady. Yeah. She... Who's, who's the voice of it? It's someone good. It's Debbie, Debbie Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Princess Leia's mom. But I think when she's like, even when she's not flying, she's helping this older woman out trying to light the stove and help her bake the pie so she can make the delivery. Definitely. And she's doing all sorts of stuff for this woman for like free of charge, basically, just because she's like, well, we need to wait for the pie to bake. (laughs) Yeah, she's definitely helpful all the time. But I think in those couple instances where it's linked to her powers Mm -hmm. and it shows that that's what brings out the best in her powers is Miyazaki saying like no that is her skill right because that one instance where she jumps off the bridge and then she can't fly that whole time when she just wants to but then when she needs to help Tombo she can do it yeah so I think helping is her power helping I agree right I think that's not a stretch I think that's the best like she's yeah if she's in service of others she's she's good yeah and maybe her mom was a bit of that too because she's not making potions for just anything she's helping out an arthritic woman or something yeah. right senior witch <laughs> yeah we didn't talk much about she's just credited as madame yeah but i liked all of that too because we get to see a lot of the good side of kiki mm-hmm. well it's all good side but like when she takes that uh herring and pumpkin pie yeah all the way to that granddaughter and the granddaughter doesn't like it it's a much more complex way to get us to like Kiki. If Kiki had made it the pie mm-hmm. and the girl to her face was like, no, this is garbage. Get out of here. We'd be like, yeah, that, that girl's a dick, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a simpler way to do it. But the fact that Kiki feels bad for someone else. Yeah. She's empathetic and it makes it easier for us to empathize with her, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really clever little thing that they did there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. You get that from 
just like the look on her face Mm -hmm. and how she's like begrudgingly finishes the job because she's like, well, this person is awful. Yeah. Um, But she's like, but I'm doing this for someone else. Yeah. And it's my duty to like finish it. So she does. But yeah, that um, kind of showed how she she kind of changed throughout the movie and was like very much more in service of others than she was in service of herself. And I love that the end of this movie isn't a success story of like, she has the most popular business. That doesn't really come up in no. that like end montage. No. What we do get to see is her with friends being happy. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that that's where this movie went because I think a lot of lesser filmmakers would be like, look how great her business is now. She's making all this she's money and famous. everyone loves her. Yeah. And it's not that everyone loves her. It's that she's doing fine. Mm-hmm. She's doing well. Yeah. And she helps, like, Madame, because she has a very ungrateful, like, granddaughter, basically. Yeah. And she ends up being, like, what Madame needs, which is, like, a helpful young granddaughter Mm. type of person in her life. Although she does have that uh, kind of assistant lady lady with her who's riding the broom. Just remember that? I love that scene. Uh, It was weird how into the dirigible crash she was. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> she just loves, she loves chaos that woman yeah. some people just want to see the world burn were there any moments in this movie that made you emotional at the end like when she really seems to have like found her place like in that little epilogue montage yeah when you're like watching her family be happy because she seems to be happy and she's, yeah. she's written this letter and she's like kind of going about her life at the bakery and everything. And I think that that was definitely like a sweet, sweet moment to kind of end on. And just in case you out there don't know, when the credits start, don't turn it off. No. There is a kind of mid-credits sequence that is a it's whole like a Marvel epilogue. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you watch that because it's important. Yeah, th- there definitely. I loved when she gets the cake from the old woman. Yes. That one got me. I don't know why that, that made so me so emotional. Yeah, so you, yeah. It was so sweet when she's like, well, do you have to tell me your birthday so that I can like make you a cake? <laughs> because she hasn't experienced a lot of kindness. Yeah. There was Osono, the, those three women, really. Osono, um, Ursula, and the madame. The madame sounds like she runs a brothel. Yes. Madame. She's wearing like <laughs> thigh-high latex boots or something. Oh, I didn't think that. I thought she was like a, an old-timey Southern Belle still, but she runs like a classy bra. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd have like a big crinolines and hoop skirts or whatever. Oh, okay. I was thinking like dominatrix madame. Oh. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? I don't know. Oh, uh, her like... Oh, the cake. cake. And how sweet that was yeah. because she goes out of her way to, to help all the time. And she was kind of burnt out on that because she probably wasn't getting a lot of help herself Mm -hmm. and how appreciative she was. And that's in stark contrast to how appreciative the woman's own granddaughter was. Yeah. And I think she cries. I think Kiki cries because she's so happy that someone made her a cake. Yes. And she gets to finally like feel a little bit of love and a little bit of acceptance and some family kind of love for her. Yeah, and that's exactly what she needed because mm-hmm. no one was giving her that. Yeah. I remember when I moved to Korea the f- first time and I didn't know anyone and the people I did know, there's a bunch of jerks. Oh, that's going to sound bad because one of my friends will probably hear. I was like, well, I wasn't a jerk. Not you. The people that yell at me at the str- on the street all the time. Yeah. 
Um, but my friend Robin, her mom would always send her fruit to give to me. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, make sure Indy's eating well. And we call, I called her my Korean mom. And she'd oh. always look out for me and gave me fruit. See? And I, I remember it always. <laughs> if you don't know, you probably don't know this about Indy, but Indy loves a good berry. Oh, I love berries. And some fruit. I love that's like a cake to him. Yeah. He also loves cake. That's but true. like fruit is everyday cake. Uh, other little cute things I really liked was when she's out on a delivery, we cut to the bakery and the baker, the husband, is pacing back and forth, mm-hmm. worried about her. Yeah. And then he sees her coming and he runs to the back to pretend that he wasn't worried. Yeah. And then when Kiki arrives, he comes out to pretend like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Oh, and then hey, Kiki hugs him. Yeah. And you can tell that he's like, like oh, no, but yeah. he's he's loving it. He's like, it he's ready to be heart. a dad. Yeah. I love that guy, too. I loved like, he doesn't say a lot, but his like whole body language and everything. Yeah. It's very like he's ready to be a dad. He's like a good guy and a good baker. That's yeah. what you know about him. And I love also at the end, I think it's in that montage where she's walking down the street and then she sees a little girl dressed like her. Mm-hmm. That was super cute. That was super sweet. Because it's, I, I like the balance they find. It's not everyone celebrates her. She's the best. You're the new hero of the city. Mm-hmm. But people respect her and somebody's looking up to her. Yeah. And that's pretty great. No, I love that. That's The ending of this movie was really wonderful because you, you get the closure on it that you need in like a children's movie um and you get to kind of see her just come into her own and like relax in her environment and then also be sort of celebrated this little girl out there who wants to be her which is great that's a great feeling and yeah so i'm i'm happy with the ending of this movie oh and there's one thing we didn't talk about is about how she loses the ability to hear Gigi. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, I assumed it was because she lost all her powers. Right. Like, just it was like kind of across the board. Now we had talked about the scene that they changed. Yeah, so I'll explain that briefly. The difference in the 97 Disney version and the original Japanese is in the Japanese version, Gigi never speaks to Kiki again. Mm. That's how it ends. They still go and do deliveries together. So they are still friends. They still have each other, but they do not speak ever again. Right. The 97 cut of the Disney version, Gigi comes running in and says, Kiki, Kiki, I'm over here. And then she picks him up and he goes, meow. But says the word. Right. While in the Japanese one, it's a cat meowing. Yeah. And then in the recut Disney version that's on uh, the DVD I own, he doesn't talk in that one. Right. So I think if you look at the original Disney one, you could say like, oh, yeah, she lost her powers. She lost her confidence. Mm -hmm. She regains everything and they can talk again. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. But that's not how it was written. Right. So do you have a thought on what it means in the original version. I think it's like coming of age. Like she's become her own person and she doesn't need her cat anymore to like talk to. It's like 
she's got like the self-confidence and like kind of the autonomy and the ability to do things on her own she doesn't need that support person anymore and so i think she kind of grows out of being able to hear her cat talk yeah i'd agree i think there's a similar theme in the golden compass books like kids grow up and they lose the Mm -hmm. ability to do something i think uh polar express does the same thing with the bell you can't hear it as you grow older right and i think that's just analogous to if I ask you, like, hey, let's play tag, you'd be like, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes growing up means losing great things. True. And that's that's another hard lesson that this movie has, because especially in the original Japanese, Gigi is kind of a wise voice. Mm-hmm. Gigi guides a lot. And it's kind of like now that she has grown into this, she doesn't need that. Yeah. And she's lost this, I guess, childish bond she had with uh, with Gigi. They still have something, which I'm glad to see that they're still doing their own things mm-hmm. together. Also, Gigi's kind of grown up a bit. Yeah. Gigi's a father now and has kids. That's right. I forgot that there's kittens. Yeah. And then one of the little kittens comes on the deliveries, too, yeah. which was very cute. But yeah, I think it's just showing you that growing up mm-hmm. is not all good. Yeah. You're going to lose a lot of... Like that childlike wonder. You just can't regain certain things like that. And it's sad. Yeah. And that's it. It's not, it's sad, but look at this. It's yeah. Like, no, it's sad. It's just there are sad period. things about it's growing sad. up. Yeah. It's another one of those hard lessons that not a lot of movies will do, but it's it's true. Yeah. Growing up kind of sucks. It does. Don't talk to cats anymore. I still try. I try all the time. I know you do. You try you try very hard. I do talk to a lot of cats. <laughs> but also growing up has its advantages. Like being able to go out and get a cat, which we're doing now? Mm-mm. Come on, let's go get a cat. No. Two cats. No, thanks. Four cats. No, thank you. Are there things about this movie you don't like? Not really. I don't know. I, I kind of got lost in the world of Kiki and really- It's a good world to get lost in. Like didn't have a lot of negative things to say. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was so well done. It was a story that we've seen- in some iteration before, and I think it was so well done this time that, like, it's, I don't really have any complaints. What did you think of the kind of big finale with the dirigible? And, well, you got to learn the word dirigible. That's fun. Dirigible, yeah. Yeah. Which is a blimp, but usually has a, uh, like, a harder skeleton structure in it. That's okay. the difference. It's I not think. just inflatable? I believe. Hang on, I'm gonna I'm going to say that's the difference. What did you think of that big finale? Because it seems very out of place. This movie, we talked about how it's all little things, it's all internal, and then we have a giant zeppelin crashing into a clock tower. And that's new, because I do remember the book where it's her finding new gears for the clock tower for their New Year's festival. So there's not this giant blimp, I don't think. Hmm. Were you fine with the the blimp? You're like, yeah, that kind of seems fine. It seemed fine. It was, uh, you know, necessary drama, I guess, to me. I guess I don't, yeah, I thought they could have done something else. It seemed too big for where the rest of the movie was. That's fair. But I feel like there's something there because it's a flying machine Mm -hmm. and it's a Miyazaki movie and he loves flying machines and they mean something and I don't know what. (laughs) So I think I talked about this at the beginning a little bit. And as we watch more of his movies, maybe I'll be able to formulate my idea of what 
he's trying to get across when he uses all of these flying machines and just flight in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's definitely a thing about tradition and modernity because Kiki is a good representation of a lot of traditional things. She wears the doll black. She's flying on a broom. Generations of people have done that. Mm-hmm. This dirigible is something new and it's kind of untested Mm -hmm. so there's something to be said there and maybe like the blimp we don't have blimps anymore no do you know why because they were like highly flammable i think it was the one well they are because they were helium filled right but or um hydrogen filled right but you could just use helium yeah but i think when the hindenburg crashed do you know about the hindenburg not really i think People might not, but you kind of do. You just don't know it. If you've ever seen like old black and white footage of a blimp slowly exploding and then some going, oh, the humanity. Oh, okay. That's the Hindenburg. That's the Hindenburg. And since it was was so big and well publicized, I think that killed the blimp. Mm. Maybe there are real legitimate reasons, but the blimp when it was coming out was like a sign of hope and the Hindenburg crash destroyed all of that hope. And I think, like, I might be stretching now, as I often do when we get to this portion of the podcast, <laughs> but I think there's something that Miyazaki is saying about how modern technology has a cost. Mm-hmm. Because this movie, where does where and when do you think it takes place? I don't know when it takes place, but it, it seemed very European. But from the cars and stuff, you'd say 30s, 40s. Yeah. And it's nowhere specific, of course, but it's mostly based on Swedish towns. Okay. But there's a lot of there's a lot of French stuff in there. There's a lot of Japanese stuff in there. That's what I was wondering because it seemed very French, having yeah. been to France. It's the only place in Europe I've been. But I've spent a good bit of time in Scandinavia, and I'd say it's probably closer okay. to that. But when you're down, like this, looks like the south of France in a lot of it. As yeah, well. it does. It says but, it's. Based, sorry, I found it on uh, Stockholm inspired. Okay. Yeah. I think some of Gotland as well. Okay. The smaller towns. Right. But uh, we're in Europe-ish in the 30s and 40s. What are we missing? The war. The war. Yeah. I think what Miyazaki says through a lot of his stuff that technology has a cost and he comes back to world war ii without explicitly coming back to world war ii Mm -hmm. pretty often yeah because he often creates worlds that are at that time or around that time with uh, porco rosso as well we'll get into that and there is no world war ii so there is this kind of um nostalgia for a simpler time if i could really simplify it he's longing for this innocent past that perhaps never was or that could have been if not for all of these other things and it's kind of a a reconciliation of a lot of those things and flight in his movie seems like an example of both the successes and failures of modernity or technology or whatever you want to say and kiki's kind of like a balance between a lot of those qualities because she's she does the uh traditional stuff she wears the black dress but she wears this bright red bow Mm -hmm. when she's helping the madame she's using like oh you should use the old wood oven 
that's the better way to go. And the madame's like, oh, yeah, why don't I use the wood oven? Yeah. She is a symbol of uh, of tradition a lot of the times. Right. And this dirigible is this new encroaching modernity and a faster speed and a newer life. Yes. And it goes wrong. Yeah. And yes, I believe I am stretching and I don't think this is what Miyazaki really meant. <laughs> but he is someone of his age who is Japanese who has a strong bond with people who designed aircraft that were used in the war. And now we see him having a traditional, well-meaning girl saving people from technology gone too far. Whoa, man. And I think if we start getting into things like Porco Rosso and The Wind Rises, which is about the designer of a plane which was used for war which Mm -hmm. is not what the designers want of course right i think those themes come through and maybe he didn't even mean it maybe just came in there maybe he's uh super smart and i am too (laughs) i'm probably not i'm probably looking too far into it you're very smart thank you um but i think i'm probably grasping a little too much at this but Mm -hmm. you can kind of see those themes coming through i think yeah i could see that it's definitely not a stretch I think it is a stretch. Not I a think huge, if I like like stretch stretch. Although I think if I watch the movie again with this idea in my head, I think I could back it up more. I think so. I think so. But I feel like you can do that with a lot of things. That's very true. If you go in with a goal like, oh, I'm yeah. going to equate this to the war, then yeah. Oh, that's a dangerous... That's a dangerous game to play <laughs> yeah. because you're like, oh, well, that clearly and that clearly and that clearly and you're just yeah. like... You, you can put any lens. It's like on that stuff. Uh, that shining documentary, where everyone's like, "Oh yeah, this is about the moon landing. Oh, this is about the genocide of the indigenous Americans." Right. And, so if you go yeah. in with like a certain goal in mind to find it, you're gonna find it. Yeah. Because you're gonna work hard enough, and you're gonna bend your mind in ways mm-hmm. that like it may not make any sense, but you're gonna go in and you're gonna be like, "Oh well, clearly this is an allegory for becoming a woman because like in a war torn country." Yeah. Like. It, it's it's not, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to see that if that is your main goal. Yeah, definitely don't come up with your idea first and then see how the and movie backs it, it up. Yeah. That being said, I really want to rewatch The Wind Rises, which I did not give full attention to because it's a Miyazaki, but it's like a kind of romantic biopic. Oh, so interesting. He he goes to some very fun places, and I'm excited to continue this journey of showing them to you and kind of rediscovering them uh, a second time. It's always like a fun watch. Yeah. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention that I think we should. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff the dog. Remember Jeff? Jeff the dog. The dog that has Gigi. Jeff the dog? You don't remember Jeff the dog? Why do I not remember Jeff the dog? There's a dog, and I think it's hilarious that his name's Jeff in the English version. It might even be that in the Japanese. No, I didn't. I remember when they Gigi pretends to be a toy, and then the dog <gasps> yes, is picking her. Yes, that's right. We that's actually right. rewatched that scene. We did. <laughs> about two hours ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, Jeff the dog was funny. And how Jeff is just like a cool dog. It's not like he's going to chase Gigi around. Gigi's yeah. just like, hey, could you put me outside? And Jeff's like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> Jeff's a good guy. Would you would you take this inside with you? Like that was a funny little <laughs> yeah. exchange. That's I just had to bring up Jeff the dog because I love Jeff. I can't believe I forgot about Jeff the dog. All right, that's taken care of. Anything else you want to talk about that you loved or disliked or anything about this movie? I don't 
So I think. What's your final thoughts? I love it. Great. <laughs> 10 out of 10. But I think everyone should see this movie. Just don't think it's something it's not. Don't go in with a pre-decided. Well, at this point, you probably have all the information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched it already, you should. Yeah. Um, and you should just like watch it without any um, thoughts about what it might be about and then come back and listen to this again. I think I love this movie because it doesn't have the big villains or monsters that most children's movies have. But also, it's not a world where everything turns out great. Mm -hmm. And that's why Miyazaki's movies can have um, witches or forest spirits or whatever it is, but still be fundamentally relatable to yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Because these movies are not grounded in any sort of realistic world a lot of the time, uh -huh. but they are grounded in emotional reality yeah and he does a great job of getting to the heart of things that you don't always even know are there and then you see it on screen even if it's something as simple as that flop on the bed and you're like yes i get that yes i love how he does that and the like i don't want to go out or i don't want to see my friends or like whatever it's just like it's i'm such upset a and i don't know why yeah. i'm upset and that makes me more upset yes yeah well, now that we've wrapped up, let's thank our second sponsor of the episode, and that is Rumi. With warmer weather comes yard work, and often lots of it. You need to prune your trees and shrubs, clean your eaves troughs, replace those drafty windows you noticed over the winter, or you can call Rumi to take care of all your outdoor and indoor spring home maintenance while you fire up the barbecue and relax. So visit roomy.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, or call 1-844-777-7864 and let Roomy's trusted local experts take care of your yard so all you have to do is enjoy it. I think we're at the end of our discussion on Kiki's delivery service. And we better end it before Andy comes up with more theories on what the movie's <laughs> about. Um, so you can join us again next week when we do our end of season award show. Yes. Every 50 episodes or so, we review all of the things we had been talking about those last 50 episodes and give out awards. Yes. Some categories like... Uh, best animal friend. Best animal friend. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite one to do. Best friend. Oh, human. Human friend. Who who would you want to be your best friend? Yeah. Most delicious food. Most delicious food. Um, And then some of the normal ones, like best film, uh, best actor, mm. best actress. Uh, which world would you like to live in? That's my favorite. That's a good one. Yeah, so we'll see you next week for our big awards episode. And this is probably a fitting episode to thank uh, Japan. Yes. Because we get a lot of Japanese listeners. Thanks, more Japan. than most, I think it's uh, Canada, US, and Japan are yeah. our big three. And they keep coming back. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Whoever you are listening there. Arigato gozaimasu. What he said. <laughs> and we'll see you next week for awards. Get your ball gown. Get your acceptance speech ready. We're gonna Are people going to come here and accept them? 
I hope not. <laughs> I hope um, Jeff the dog comes and gets his best animal friend award. Oh, me too. What a good dog he is. <laughs> okay, we'll see you next week for awards night. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.